Welcome to The Culture Factor, where we talk to founders and influential leaders about company culture. We share stories from the C-suite that help executives engage their business from the inside and create a map to transform their culture. Because the truth is, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I want to thank our listeners for joining The Culture Factor and ask that you subscribe, rate, and consider leaving a review. We'd love to hear who you'd like to listen to next. And a thank you to our sponsor, Company Tribes. They have an app and a virtual experience to help keep your tribe together during difficult times like now and business as usual. How strong is your company culture? Reach out to Paul at companytribes.com. As co-producers and hosts, I'm Holly Shannon, and along with Paul Jones, we welcome you to another great episode of The Culture Factor. Today on the show, we're with Douglas Ferguson, who is a talented technologist, serial entrepreneur, author, speaker, investor, and master facilitator. Currently, he serves as president of Voltage Control, a facilitation agency that helps teams work better together with custom design meetings and workshops. He is also a partner at Capital Factory and a mentor at Techstars. In addition, he serves as an advisor to many different organizations in the Austin, Texas area. Today, we're going to talk about how to have better meetings, and I'm really excited because this is uh, a topic that I think could use a lot of work. We could all do much better on how we meet, how we organize our meetings, and how that impacts culture. So let's get started. Welcome to The Culture Factor, Douglas Ferguson. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, Douglas, we're going to get right into it. Um, And I wanted to give our audience a little bit of a background, get to know you a little bit uh, as we've gotten to know you. You know, you're kind of the OG of the, the scene, the entrepreneurial scene in Texas. You've started a lot of different companies. You've sold a lot of companies. Um, you've had a lot of great success and, and you're always innovating. Um, could you give us a little bit of background history on on that journey and uh, as it relates kind of to culture as well? I mean, you know a lot of the executives out there and, and companies out there that are focused on people. So can you give us a little bit of your history? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I started off uh, writing software in the mid to late 90s and that's what took me to Austin. And my first startup was actually in North Carolina. And we were way ahead of our times. We, were, we, were, we had a, um, a system called that we called community publishing software. And it was kind of like Facebook way before Facebook. And um, it was uh, really not great to be early. Um, <laughs> a, a fun, fun culture. Uh, we, we were all having a lot of a blast building cool stuff. Um, and, and, really proud of about being on the cutting edge, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's much nicer to, to hit that, um, demand curve a little, a little bit more appropriately. Right. But, uh, yeah. So then I came to Austin and, you know, was writing software for core metrics, which, um, was, um, founded by Brett Hurt, which is, you know, a huge pioneer here in Austin around culture and, uh, one of the um, early um, participate participators, founders uh, of the Culturati conference. I know he, I think he's still an advisor now and a uh, real big fan of that conference for all the culture junkies out there. And um, I guess my personal journey, I learned a lot from working underneath Brett. And then as I um, took on more leadership roles and ultimately I think that the thing that really drew me toward the leadership roles was realizing how important 
people were, how important it was blending dis- different disciplines together because technology for technology's sake doesn't serve anybody. And we had to stitch together, you know, this a deep understanding of the market, a deep understanding of the technology and even design and form and how all these things have come together to make great products. And then we can't do any of that unless we have a healthy organization. And the only way to have a healthy organization is if we concentrate on the people. And um, and then there's this interesting phenomenon of, you know, there's the power of networking and tapping into the broader culture of the community and how can you play a role there, whether it's, um, you know, community building across other CTOs and bring together people that are like-minded and, you know, working on similar things and creating that community of practice that then kind of transcends the organization and, and feeds the ecosystem. So then mm-hmm. as you move to maybe found other companies or, or consult with other companies, you know, the, the, the community kind of can support um, the journey from, from one generation to the next, maybe. Um, I think that's, uh, to me, a really fascinating concept. Let me let me switch gears for just a second. So, you know, we're all working with um, a virtual world in, in businesses and in events. Um, events are really struggling and, and um, you know, we're still trying to figure out how to get that human connection. And, um, you know, I like a couple of the ideas you came up with. Um, but Outside of events, obviously you run a company and you've worked with other companies. Can we jump into the conversation about, um, I'm going to really switch gears here, but in terms of meetings and how they affect company culture. So, you know, conference is one thing, you know, you have your community and you're trying to keep that momentum, but, um, and, but very often um, people come to an event more, you know, it's something that they want to do. They're interested in participating in something. But in an office, obviously, if your boss says we're having a meeting at three, everybody shows up, right? Um, so my question is, how many meetings, right? Um, is more meetings better? Is less meetings better? Where Where's that tipping point? Because I, you know, we've talked with people about company culture and some people um, hate having meetings and they feel like it's a negative and some people feel as though more is better because it's more collaborative. What What is your take on mm. that? Well, I want to unpack a couple of things you said there. Um, first, I'm going to start with this um the, this notion that we're, we're shifting gears. Cause I, I think therein lies a real um, potential. If we don't think about it so much as shifting gears, that meetings should be considered little events and how you described an event as something someone was interested in participating in. They should feel that way about meetings or you shouldn't have them. And so if we can have tons of that, if we can have more meetings and everyone feels that way, then we should have more meetings. If having less meetings means that everyone feels that way, we should have less. Whatever uh, we can do to intentionally design our meetings so that people feel invited, they feel like they can participate and they want to be there, then um, then we're in a good spot. Mm. And we have about 10 different meeting mantras that we believe can help people get to that kind of Mecca. Uh, We refer to them as magical meetings. And one of them is all meetings are optional. 
And it's kind of a playful way of saying that, you know, if you don't think you're going to provide value to the meeting or that um, the meeting is going to influence your ability to do your job, then don't attend. Have the courtesy to let the organizer know that you're not going to attend and maybe why, because that's a learning moment for them. But, uh, but certainly uh, making it um giving everyone the authority to say, you know what, you're not going to just carpet bomb my calendar with a bunch of meetings and steal my time. Right. You know, it's interesting. I, I, it, it brings this like capitalistic approach to meetings where, <laughs> you know, it, it, it puts the pressure in the right places. Um, there's a number of reasons. If someone could leave a meeting and, and, it, and meetings are optional, then you as the meeting organizer, you're going to have to have a pretty good idea of what that meeting should be and what the outcomes, what the goal of that meeting should be, right? I can't tell you how many meetings I've organized where I've just, it's been half-assed. I thought about it for a second. I thought, oh, we need to talk about this topic. So I've got a topic in mind, but I haven't structured it beyond that. And then, you know, I invite people to a meeting and we, we end up wasting some time or someone doesn't feel like they need to be there. So that's a, that's a really interesting concept. Yeah. You know, that, that brings up a couple of things that are near and dear to me, which is, you know, a good agenda. Like so many people say, oh, well, if you're going to have a good meeting, you got to have a good agenda. And then, you know, so there's, you know, the, what, 80% of people that don't even bother to do an agenda. And then other people that are doing agendas, at least 80, if not more percent of them are just making lists of topics. Yeah. Whereas an agenda can be so much more, you know, an agenda can be a blueprint for how we're going to make decisions and you can take that so much further. Um, the other, the other thing you, you talked about not having a goal, well, you can't have a good agenda unless your goal is really crisp. And, um, I would say that, uh, a, a uh, even better word is purpose. Like what is the reason we're bringing people together? What is our bedrock purpose for spending all this money that we're going to spend to gather these really smart people that are well-paid together um, to spend all this time? And and if you really think about honoring that, then you can really craft a, a good agenda. And, you know, there's also different frameworks that you can use to kind of break down the types of meetings because meeting the word meeting is so overloaded, you know, like, and it can actually help culturally. It can help you out to just remove the word meeting from your lexicon <laughs> and be more descriptive. You know, what are we actually doing? Um, and you know, if it, if it's just a status report, then maybe we shouldn't do it. Maybe we should asynchronously, uh, figure out how to convey this information. And in fact, you know, if a, a meeting is purely informative of any, in, in any manner, we can probably um, accomplish that in a way that is much more um, friendly to scaling and to giving everyone more time to do yeah. important work. Friend, friendly and multifaceted. I mean, if, and even trainings, a lot of times we do, training meetings. And so you gather everybody in a room and it, it might be two in the afternoon and everyone just wants to just, uh, they, they just don't want to be there. 
Um, because you're just presenting information, it's not engaging. So there's a lot of different ways to think about that. And I, I think that plays a hundred percent into the culture of, of your company. You can really change the culture of your company by changing the way that you meet. What are Absolutely. some of those things that people could do right now that would kind of signal if, if someone's looking to change their culture and they wanted to use meetings as a vehicle to do that, what are some things they could do in their meetings? Oh man. So we already talked about making meetings optional. We'll change your culture overnight. Um, also, do the work in the meeting. If uh, if you adhere to that principle, let's say every meeting that we, we're going to do work together. So rather than talking about stuff and then everyone divides and disappears and to go do the work, what if we started to do the work together? Um, what if we um, refused to meet unless we had a prototype? So that we had something to re- review and react to rather than just words that are kind of floating around and evaporating. And we're not quite so sure if we're all in alignment. It sounds mm-hmm. like we're saying the same thing, but two weeks from now when something surfaces, is it going to look like what I'm imagining? Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. And, 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 and that's talking about – and I'm talking about structure and, and, and conceptual stuff, not necessarily visual aesthetic when I say does it look like what I'm, what I'm imagining, right? Because structurally, if things are completely different, um, that ne- it's really valuable to surface that early on. And I'll, also, I think when there can be much better communication around the type of the meeting that's happening before it happens so that we walk in knowing, are we coming together to make a decision? Because if your team is expecting a decision to be made and you know, it may just be because that expectation was not set that they just planted one of their own, right? Because if you don't tell the story, somebody else will. And so if I don't explain exactly my intentions of this meeting, um, then people can get things in their head. And if we walk out without making a decision, then that can hurt people and make them feel unheard or make them feel um, not included. Likewise, if they were not expecting a decision to be made and um, or they were expecting one to be made and then we walk out and there's still more options floating around. That can be frustrating too. So the, the timing of decisions, communicating how and when and, and making sure that um, we inform them if they're going to be consulted or if we're expecting them to make the decision or if we're going to collaboratively make the decision. Because I don't think there's any right or wrong answer in different situations um, dictate different tactics, but uh, if we communicate it ahead of time, people tend to uh, be a lot more receptive. You know, you make me think about something here. So you said magical meetings, and and your number one thing is all meetings are optional. Um, you know, I feel like number two should bring us back to a comment you made about creative destruction. So maybe mm. an agenda is built with the the notion that um, we are creatively, you know, deconstructing or just being destructive. (laughs) (laughs) It's our opportunity to really rebuild it. And then maybe number three is saying uh, that next meeting is we're coming to the table with decision-making so that everybody has had an opportunity to to come to, you know, maybe play devil's advocate and really dissect something and then know that 
now we're going to make the decision. So they had their say. And that, and I feel like that would feed into a good company culture because I feel as though a lot of people don't feel as though they get to say their piece or, or contribute. And that might just be because that structure is not there. Yes. And you're touching on a lot of things that are get me really excited. And one of them is, uh, one of our mantras is um, to include and unleash everyone. So it's super important that that happens in some way. And, you know, the, the, the structure you just um, described, it would be a way to include and unleash everyone. And there are other ways to approach it. And it gets into this work that we, we call um, meeting systems, which is, you know, thinking about your meeting culture and when you have meetings and what types of meetings you should have and uh, when it wouldn't be appropriate to have a certain kind of meeting and, and how it's structured and, you know, the decision-making processes, et cetera. And so thinking about those things, just like you would your, um, your kind of office culture um, and your values, but thinking about your meetings as constructs that are, you know, these are the vehicles by which your, your employees interact. And if you don't think about and design those and, with care and intention, then um, you're really missing an opportunity to um, structurally support any um, any other behaviors and culture that you're trying to instill. Absolutely. We've been doing a lot of interviews lately, and, and we've been talking a lot about um, outcomes, outcome-based leadership. And you're seeing that emphasis more and more with uh, going remote and a lot of companies are, are not going to go back to the office. And so kind of circling back to what we were talking about earlier, where in the office, there's this organic kind of bump into you, get to know you, things that start to happen. Well, virtually here on meetings, that's really where employees are having intersections uh, with each other and social dynamics. And so when we talk about the meeting, and, and this is why I think this subject is so timely because this is meetings are really the only place right now where that social interaction is happening. Douglas, how would you recommend when we try to become these, you know, meeting senseis inside of our organizations and we come up with our agendas and and we realize that it's optional? How do we add that social element uh, into a meeting that we also want to be productive? Yeah, so that's a fantastic question because it's oh so important. And the BBC even had this report come out that said that most uh, meaningless meetings are actually a form of therapy, which I thought mm. I found really fascinating because you know, on, on one hand, you could say, "Well, what? Like, let's get rid of all these meaningless meetings." But if they are um, providing a form of therapy, then we should design that in intentionally. Like how much do we need? How little do we need? And rather than right. just happening organically, let's like be really intentional about it. And what if we designed it into um, productive and effective meetings rather than having a whole meeting that people are just drawn to because they need that? What if that was part of every meeting? And then that gets into um, meeting design, how we think about agendas. And if you can think about um, designing your meetings with with your agenda being a narrative, and the meeting tells a story and unfolds in some organic way. Um, one of my favorite narratives for a meeting is just a real, really simple open explore close. You can almost think about it as like the classic storyline of, of the beginning, the middle, and the end. 
And in the beginning, we have to open things up. We have to get people warmed up. And then the, and then the middle is when we explore. And then, um, and then we end with a closer and we, we, we tighten things off and, you know, we put a bow on it. And um, another way to think about that is um, in the opener is when we're going to allow people to like come up with their own ideas. It's when we give people time to boot up and consider things. And then during the explore section is where we look at collisions and intersections. That's where some of the serendipity starts to happen. If we don't allow for that, then we might not find the novel solutions. And then the closer is this more kind of convergent kind of space where we're starting to add constraints and make decisions. There are other narratives you can consider as well, but the point is like, if we think about those narrative arcs, then we can think about when it makes sense, probably the opener, right? Like if we're going to design an opener or if we're doing a hero's journey narrative arc, like where might, where might there be a a good point for, for to design in some serendipity, but, but often it's when we want to energize the room or we're coming back from a break or we're starting, we might design in something, you know, I, there's this the phenomenon that I refer to as the weather report that just generally happens when people start meetings and they're like, Oh, how was the weekend? Or what did you do? Or, you know, it was like, Oh, it was raining outside. And like, Oh, did you see the football game? And you know, it's all this kind of stuff that's happening. Right. But what if you were really intentional about that? So right out of the gate, you had a prompt, a right. really provocative question that tied into the work we we're going to do, but didn't expect people to have answers didn't expect like really serious like brain power or or like cognitive like input on whatever this thing is but it was related enough to get people just in the mood of talking about this thing and it was loose enough to where people it would allow people to connect um, maybe you even use breakout rooms even if it's only a, a meeting of like 10 people maybe you're breaking out into groups of two and you're creating some informal things um, and then outside of the meeting I've, I've you know there's Lots of people that are, you know, starting up a meeting for a team that normally works together or would sit together in a pod and the meeting is just kind of going in the background or they kind of create little impromptu events that are less topical and just more about connecting, um, uh, whether it's like over like a, it's a forum chat or whatever. So I think just considering ways to bring the team together and, um, and new and creative uh, approaches is, is smart and also giving people time to voice an opinion around how they might do that. Right. And letting it be a bit um, or self-organizing because that's a very powerful dynamic as well. That's a great point. How would you guide them in self-organizing? I, because a lot of people, um, there's always those people who love to take the lead. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of people who like to follow. And there's nothing wrong with either types of personalities. How would you foster that? Yeah, you know, the, the thing I look out for is the, um, the folks that, that naturally want to lead. Are they mature enough to realize that part of their leadership responsibilities are to, to bring out the, um, the insights and the ideas from those that are more likely to follow because if they're following and they're just, um, they're just saying yes to everything and not giving their true thoughts or actually not speaking up, then there's a real risk in, in that dynamic. 
Um, and, you know, identifying the leaders and really um, upskilling them in, in the abilities of uh, facilitation and how um, it's just a, a new way to lead. It's, it's much more of a, um, instead of the sage on the stage, it's a guide from the side kind of approach and um, empowering them to unleash everyone um, versus, uh, versus just kind of blazing the path and having everyone follow exactly what they do. Um, and so that's, that's my, that's my biggest, uh, advice as someone who's watching some of these dynamics unfold, really leaning in as a coach and then coaching them to be coaches. And, um, but I guess my, my, my real thought around the, um, self-organizing stuff is rather than, you know, seeing the vision of like, well, this is how we need to adjust all our meetings, really just inviting a conversation. Because it can be really powerful to sit down with the team and say, what do you like about the way we meet? What do you dislike about the way we meet? And what are the opportunities where we could do better? Mm-hmm. Rather than just come in and say, I heard all this awesome stuff on this podcast or whatever I read, and and then we should do this. Really inviting that conversation. Then they can, um, then you're really extracting, you're facilitating them to have even bolder ideas than than we even have because they're in the trenches. They're living it. They're they're gonna know what they need. I, you know, I'm reading a book right now um, by um, Gary Nesner, who was one of the first FBI negotiators. And in fact, he he is the one that uh, the, the 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 school at Quantico had existed, but he's the one that uh, really. Um, took it and grew it and even helped them transform a lot of the advice and, and techniques. Um, he was there at Ruby Ridge. He was at Waco. Um, he, he's seen wow. a lot. And uh, it's anyway, he, he said, um, and, and really the only compromise is to listen. You know, what you're talking about too, Douglas, is when you don't have a, a structured meeting, I think you're going to get this kind of social pecking order where you want to prove that you're a contributing member of the group. Right. And so the narrative that you end up participating in is that narrative rather than what is the purpose that we're trying to accomplish. And I love what you said earlier about prototyping. Um, I think prototyping is a great way to create this, mindful group that's living in the present working together um, because you're not trying to all get on the same page conceptually, or you're not trying to necessarily debate something, but when you're both, when everybody's working toward this idea of, Hey, we, the goal of this meeting or the purpose of this meeting is come out of it with a prototype. Now you're getting people to, when you say listening, listening is all about being in the present and as soon as you stop being in the present, you're like, oh, I have a good point I want to make. You've stopped listening. Right. So you have to let go of, you know, an idea or a thought that you have had to for the betterment of the group so that you can move forward together. And the idea of working together on a prototype, I think, really helps that. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of great collaborative tools that allow us to do that, whether it's sticky notes in a physical meeting or like sticky notes in, you know, a virtual board like Mural or Miro. Or, or even Figma. We, we, we love using Figma to design assets together or, or we're in a Google Doc together or Google Slides or any kind of collaborative tool that lets us be in there at the same time. Then any ideas we have can be inserted in real time. We don't have to wait till someone else is 
finished. And um, the act of recording those things, uh, I've found it can be an amazing way of capturing what we hear someone else say with their own spin on it. And then, Mm. and then as all that stuff, it's almost like a multi-threaded brainstorming um, versus, you know, the, the kind of single threaded approach of one person documenting while a bunch of people talk. And um, if we can all capture at the same time, we're all kind of influencing it. And then, um, then if there's time to zoom back out and kind of take note of everything that's been captured or the progress that's been made, then that, that creates a really, really interesting dialogue because instead of someone having to make a bold point, we have a really visual, definite prototype to react to. So then our language can be really terse. We don't have to have this yeah. really articulate, descriptive, you know, deep vocabulary. We can say, shouldn't that be moved to the left? <laughs> we can be more tactical with our language. And then we don't have to, you know, uh, even more, you know, we're not going to forget how to say move that to the left. Right. And so we can wait or even make a little side comment um, because we, the tool allows it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. or, or we just make the change and see how people react to it. And so it just, the, the possibilities become infinite compared to, you know, the dialogue in a room where everyone's talking in circles, words are evaporating. Like we're saying things and we're not sure if we're disagreeing or agreeing sometimes. And, um, it's the visual visualizing the space just opens up so much more potential. I love that perspective. That's so cool. Douglas, thanks for coming on the show and sharing this, this new way to look at meetings. I think it's, like I said earlier, I think it's really timely and you've given us a lot of fantastic tools and some great perspective to, to think about. Yeah. I really appreciate this. This was great. Yeah, you guys were a pleasure to chat with. I feel feel like I could go on for hours and um, I know it has to come to an end, but I really appreciate you taking the time to chat and it's been great to be here. Awesome. Thanks, Douglas. Thank you for coming on The Culture Factor.